Hey folks, welcome to episode number two of Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we are very lucky to have living legend, and I seriously mean that, Steve Rasnick Tem. So Steve's writing career spans over 40 years, including poetry, plays, short stories, and novels, including collaborations with his late wife, Melanie Tem, in the genres of fantasy, science fiction, horror, crime, regional fiction set in the Appalachian South, as well as a less classifiable imaginative prose more than one critic has called Temism. He's a transplanted Southerner from Virginia. He's been a longtime resident of Colorado. You can find his work at stevetem.com. I had the pleasure of publishing one of Steve's stories in Denver Horror Collective's latest anthology, Consumed Tales Inspired by the Wendigo. And so I'm really glad to have you on the podcast, Steve. Oh, thank you. So biological horror is the theme of this podcast. Every guest that I invite on, I ask to come up with a topic that is at least in some way relevant to some of your work or something that you find interesting in the world of biological horror. And for those who don't know, this is a definition that I'm sort of just making up, but Biology, of course, is the study of living creatures and vital processes. So it's, uh, we can make it into whatever we want. But yeah, the piece that I know is relevant to a lot of your stuff is this idea of the decline of the body. So basically, dissolution, the body sort of falling apart, maybe, maybe not working as well as it could. How does that tie into the stuff that you write and why is that of interest to you? Well, it kind of sounds like the pattern of my daily life, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, our concept of monstrousness comes from, well, not only the bodies and the anatomy of other, other species like insects and reptiles, and mammals, but it also comes from our conflicted feelings about our own bodies. And I mean, if you talk to people about their bodies or or their sense of themselves, uh, you you get some rather strange and uh, suppressed, and at times kind of uh, self hatred commentary. I I think. Uh, more people I know dislike their bodies than, than like their bodies. And that seems to be a, uh, a pattern that throughout uh, contemporary culture, uh, starting you know, with your adolescent years. And so much so that uh, I think for a lot of us, our bodies are mysteries to us. I know there are men I know who never go to a doctor, for example. They only go to the doctor if they're in severe, I mean, really severe pain. They don't want to know what's going on inside their bodies. They'd rather not know. And I think that kind of sense and that kind of paranoia, that kind of uh, discomfort, I guess, with our physical beings uh, is one of the sources of monstrous horror and just a lot of horror in general. Uh, the, the, I think the unknown 
in a lot of fiction is really the human body they're talking about and the interior unknown of someone's body. Uh, I think I see that in a lot of stories and a lot of fiction. And something I try to capitalize on, um, I think the decline of the body is something which has interested me more as I get older, because as, uh, like most writers, I, I tend to write about the stage I'm life, of life I'm in now. So young writers tend to write about uh, finding a spouse, having children, uh, dating, uh, social life, that kind of thing. Uh, once you have children, you start writing a lot about your children and fears for children. And as you get older, there's a tendency to write about aging and the problems that come with aging. And aging is something we just really don't understand very well. And we don't really know much about what's going on there, uh, particularly mentally. Uh, I think most of my friends who, who reach this age have some fear over things like Alzheimer's. Uh, my mother has Alzheimer's. And although that's been studied a great deal, we don't really know what's going on internally with an Alzheimer's patient. And that's very frightening for most of us. We, we don't like the idea of, of lack of control and the lack of uh, sense of who we are and who our loved ones are. Uh, and that's another thing that feeds into this uh, decline of the body. And I, I tend to write about those kinds of uh, stories more frequently the last few years. Uh, I also find that uh, I often associate the decline of the human body with insects. So you'll see a lot of insect imagery in some of my stories. I have a story called Blatterday Wine that's in my collection, uh, The Night Doctor. And it's about a man who's losing his wife and his wife turns into a kind of cocoon object. And uh, there's a large kind of spiritual insect in the house that gets larger as she dies. And uh, that's not something that I sat down and created or thought of. It just kind of appeared in the story naturally. And I'm still not sure exactly where that comes from, but that, that seems to be one of my deep associations with death and decline is, is insects. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'm really interested in insects because they can be terrifying. They're also, they're both really fragile and in some ways like super creatures, right? Like a tiny ant is super strong and then they can fall off a, basically the equivalent of a cliff and be fine, but it's almost like their bones are on the outside. So maybe it's something to do with like the skeleton aspect of it that that's going on in your mind. So you're not really sure why you're associating that that aspect with insects, it just feels right for you. Correct. That's really interesting. Well, you said a lot of great stuff I want to talk about. So yeah, the Alzheimer's topic. So I, my recent novella is that's the, the protagonist is an elderly man and dealing with the wife who is dealing with Alzheimer's. There's a supernatural element that ties into it as well. But, um, I did notice that reading your stuff over the years, you do have a fair amount of elderly protagonists. And I really appreciate that. 
I don't think that it's enough in fiction. And basically, I call myself an aspiring old man. Um, <laughs> in some ways, I'm an old man. In some ways, I'm far too immature for my age. But I do think about that stuff a little more, you know, at 42. So parts of me aren't working as great as they used to. And uh, so that's been on my mind more. And so I wonder if in the past, I've just not been as interested in stories about our elderly protagonists. And now for some reason, I'm really resonating with it. But of course, what's the piece of, of somebody who is who is a bit older? It's not just being closer to death, right? That's I feel like the death and the dissolution, obviously they're, they're combined, right? Bodies falling apart, then eventually not working anymore. To me, I find the falling apart far more terrifying than the death. Like if you're dead, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. It's over, you're done, you're out. But if your body doesn't work anymore, you're dealing with pain and suffering, that to me is, is more, more horrifying. And if you have a, let's say like a 20s protagonist, they're probably not going through as much of that or they're not even thinking about it. So when you have those, that elderly protagonist, it seems like that just goes with the territory, right? That's gonna be sort of a, a part of the story, whether it's implicitly mentioned or not. Well, people in their twenties, especially uh, uh, guys have delusions of immortality mm -hmm. and uh, often feel that nothing can hurt them and if they have not, if they've never had a serious illness, they actually just assume they will never have a serious illness. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, I, I watched, I've seen that happen in my sons, and I've seen seen it happen in other other men I know that uh, uh, you just, uh, it's you know, it's not something you really want to believe in the first place that you're going to to deteriorate or you're going to die. You just, uh, you want to believe that you, for some reasons you're going to live forever and you're always going to be the same. And I think one reason that a lot of younger people don't like to read about older characters, older protagonists, is that deep fear. That is something that they don't really want to face. They don't really want to be interested in they say it's boring that it, mostly it's it's a it's a resistance of that that kind of reality it's i think it strikes a little bit too close for home mm. i think for me i i for some reason i've always liked old people mm -hmm. and uh, even when i was young i was writing about older protagonists it in part it may be because i had a very close relationship with my my mother's father, my grandfather, uh, who was a farmer and a who also had an interest in archaeology, and he was intelligent and he was gentle and he was basically my model of what a male should be, and uh, that may have something to do with it. But I've always had that affection for older people. Uh, at the same time, I'm now seventy, and the reality of my oldness isn't particularly clear to me because I still have the same thoughts and feelings that I had when I was in my 20s and 30s, at least a lot of them, a lot of the same interests. And if anything, I'm interested in more things now than I was then. So 
uh, the reality of being 70 is strange. You wake up one morning and you've been dreaming about uh, things that happened to you when you're in your 20s and 30s when you were young, and then you wake up and you get up and you think, oh, that's right, I'm 70. And it is it is a strange feeling. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what it is I'm supposed to do that I'm now that I'm 70. How am I supposed to do this right? I don't know how that's supposed to go. Well, yeah, I think you're dead on when you're saying that younger people, they don't even want to look at that. They'll pretend, oh, that's just not interesting. But really, it's probably too, it's too relevant to them because uh, they just want to assume that that's never going to be them. And that's what's so interesting about ageism. Like, I'm not a fan of any isms, of course, but that's the only ism that you're basically projecting against your future self, you know, like you'll be that eventually. And if you're kind of downplaying the role of older people in our society, you're basically downplaying yourself. And I think it is an element of repression. Like, no, no, that'll never be me. I'll never, I'll never have to deal with that, which is lunacy, of course. Yeah. And, but I share with you the, uh, the appreciation of older people. I had really close relationship to, with all my grandparents and uh, my, my novella was actually based on their situation uh, very loosely and my last living grandparent she just passed away a couple years ago so yeah that's I, there's there's the fact that there's wisdom there that you know respect your elders but it's for me it's also i know they're under a burden and a lot of times it is a physical burden and so my question for you is why why write about this stuff is it that you want to you want to drag all those youngsters down is that like what we want to do or is it kind of like here's how you cope look at look at the um the bravery of these individuals who are watching their bodies sort of uh, not work as well as they can yet they're still going on with their days inspirational so what what is your reason for including that body dissolution in your work well i guess first thing i should say is that I've never been particularly interested in my audience. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's not, maybe that's something I shouldn't say, but I think for me, writers write to explore themes which interest them in general. And then when you're trying to write for an audience that isn't yourself, it's quite difficult and usually it's, it's doomed to failure. I mean, I, you can write about, you can write children's books, but I think often when you're writing children's books, you're writing for the child that's within you or for other children in your family that you know very, very well. Um, but I, I think, uh, I think for me, I'm, I'm basically just trying to write stories about the subjects, which interest me. All my stories tend to be an act of exploration and uh, things that I want to explore and things that I want to understand more about. And, uh, I think for me, uh, age and aging and the failing body is something that I want to understand a little bit more about. I want to come to, I suppose, better terms with. Uh, I mentioned before that people tend to have a self-hatred for their bodies. A lot of people have that. Uh, but they also seem to especially have a hatred for the aging body, the body which is getting wrinkled and sagging in all the unfortunate places and uh, changes happening to the body that you don't really quite understand. 
and you have to go to the doctor, have the doctor explain them to you. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of dislike of that. And a lot of older people hate the fact that they're old, hate their old bodies. They uh, they no longer are able to think of themselves as sexual be- beings or beautiful human beings. And they often talk about the beauty of youth and uh, as if these young people are of an entirely different species. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly uh, young people often have a hard time with the idea of a, of a man or a woman in their 60s or 70s or 80s having sex. <laughs> but often older people of those ages have a hard time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I think especially for men, uh, I think with women, you see women uh, become more used to and more forgiving of their partner's bodies as they get older and they seem to make that adjustment. For a lot of lot of men, they tend to get fixated on the look of women when they were most attracted to women. Mm-hmm. So you find men in their 70s or 80s who are, who are really fixated on the looks of 24-year-old women <laughs> because that was when they were at the peak of their sexuality and the peak of their attraction toward women. And so you find, I think as one reason you find a lot of older men who become less, who become less interested in their wives because they can't seem to make that, that adjustment and to see that this beautiful older woman here is still your wife. She's the person you've always known. And, uh, Yes, she changes, but you've changed too. I think men have a much harder problem with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the getting older at a certain point, loss of sexual vitality, loss of their at least uh, a less focus on the role as being a sexual being. And in my mind, it's like that's can be a beautiful shift, right? So even though obviously older people still do have sex and all that, you're creating when you're trying to be in the mating mode, right? Like you're, you're not about living as you currently are. You're about creating new life. That's what's in the back of their mind. Once you get older and maybe you can have kids, you're you're not interested in having kids anymore. That's not your focus. That's when you can actually shift into just being, just being a human. You don't have to have that frenzy of that always being on your mind. I hope that's what I'm looking forward to being older where I don't have to think about sex all the time. Like, will that happen? Well, you think? <laughs> well I, I think for men, it, it does change. Uh, not to be too graphic. I would just like to point out that uh, when you're having sex, you don't have to rely on your genitals. Mm-hmm. Good point. <laughs> and, uh, that's one reason that a lot of men lose interest in sex yep. is because maybe their genitals don't work as well as they used to, but they have other um, uh, appendages they can use Yes, when, when they're having intercourse. So it doesn't have to end and it can't, in fact, it, in some ways it can be a lot better. So uh, I'll just leave it there. Well, that's, well, I'll invite you on to my sex education podcast, which I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I think you're absolutely right. But what, one thing that just occurred to me regarding, so people getting older when it comes to women. So we have the 
triad of the maiden mother crone for women, right? So maiden pre-sexual or about to be sexual mother, you have a child fertility and then crone, even though that comes across negative, I don't think it initially was meant to be a negative turn. Maybe you're, you're past childbearing, but you're still probably taking care of children and you're providing lots of other nurturing roles or wisdom roles. Is there a similar triad for men? like maiden mother crones like uh um i don't know i mean i i think older men in some cultures are seen as as kind of like uh wise men or uh yes uh, that kind of thing oh certainly but just the, the idea of the splitting it up with that maiden mother i think it's more for us it's like our roles like warrior you know father and then wise man or something like that i don't know just well i'll tell you my problem with maiden mother crone because mm -hmm. i'm almost sure a man came up with that <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> because you know as any older woman would tell you uh uh they're not crones mm -hmm. and just because they're of a certain age doesn't mean their interest in sex has gone away right uh that i think the whole crone thing is based on a misunderstanding of women's sexuality. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a good point. Uh, so I don't know what it is for men. I, I think uh, mostly men get older and sometimes they get childish and they get confused. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> maybe, a lot. And maybe they get a little, a little less sure of themselves, which may be a good thing. Sure. Absolutely can be. So I also think you made a really interesting point about how it typically ends up being men, maybe not entirely, but largely men who they're not taking care of their health. They don't want to know. It's almost like a lot of men would rather just kick the bucket than know that there is something that's going wrong that they have to tend to. And that's kind of like what I brought up before. I mean, in some ways, even though I am pretty health conscious, I kind of get that, right? It's like, well, you know what, if I'm just out like a light, so be it versus if I have to actually make myself aware of this. And I think in some of the ways that's what's going on with the, the pandemic. A lot of people who deny the pandemic, they're just like, there's no pandemic. You're like, well, there definitely is. And it's a, no, what are you talking about? And it's sort of like a, uh, it's a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. Well, I think uh, men, well, maybe it's because I know men more because of, of that, that is my sex, but uh, uh, you run into very strange things with men in terms of taking care of their bodies and cleanliness and just general thought about all that. that a lot of them don't want to think about it. And uh, I think a lot of doctors will tell you that uh, some men are not very good at cleaning themselves in the shower or after using the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's an unpleasant topic to talk about, but I asked a psychologist about that one time, and he told me it was homosexual fear, hmm. that they were afraid that if they paid too much attention to their genitalia or their butts, that somehow that was encouraging a homosexual tendency in themselves. Wow. So... Yeah, men can be weird. <laughs> yeah, well, it's more of that denial. It's more of that repression stuff. And that's that's really fascinating, and particularly how it does tend to 
of coagulate more in men than women. And I do think to a certain degree in our culture, we are also, we do kind of encourage men to be the ones who put their bodies on the line, not exclusively, but you know, if you think about most of the police officers, not all of them, but you know, most of the soldiers, not all of them, most of the firefighters, we, we kind of have encouraged the warrior role to a certain degree. And maybe men have internalized that where we're not supposed to, to care about our wounds. But I think in our modern world, we're starting to realize that a lot of these really rigid gender roles do not apply. And moving past that, hopefully, yeah, men can start wiping their ass better. That would be my hope. Well, we're, we're taught to be that way. And, and certainly it's, it's, it's uh, drilled into us that we need to be the brave one. We need to be the one who takes the physical risks and uh, we need to want, we need to suck it up and mm. kind of suffer through it. I know when I was in junior high and high school, I was much more athletic. I played football and I blew out my knee one day and uh, the uh, coach thought I should walk home on it. <laughs> that that was what I should do, that that would make it better. Of course, by the time I got home, my, my knee was the size of a basketball and they had to cut my pants off. Uh. So uh, it's just that kind of attitude. And I saw that kind of thing all my life growing up. I grew up in the South. So I think in some ways that that, that may have been even more emphasized because of that. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think that's a, a completely relevant point. It's like, yeah, maybe you want to walk off maybe a slightly stiff muscle, but not a, a banged up knee. So yeah, maybe, maybe to a certain degree that's been just internalized. And maybe we we want it to be that way. Yeah, guess what? It's probably fine. It's probably fine. I'm not going to do anything about it. And then that just brings more, more damage down the road. And I think that ties into horror as a whole. Like for me, it's not about, and I'm not sure about what it is for you, but for me, it's not about obsessing over what's wrong in the world. To me, it's about coming to terms with it. And to a certain degree, when possible, pushing through it, not repressing it, but like, you know, making peace with it, realizing it's always going to be there. And so, overall, right? Like if you're like, okay, there is some illness or there's some issue with my body, I'm going to look at it. You can actually oftentimes deal with it. You may not be able to get rid of it entirely, but that whole ignoring it that exists, that's the certain way to real problems. Well, I think the darkness has to be acknowledged. The uh, bad news has to be acknowledged that if you suppress it and you don't address it in some way, it controls your life. And I think that's the message in a lot of horror fiction that uh, we want to run away from these things. But and sometimes we're a lot better off if we study them and try to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah, totally agree with that. Well, Steve, I've really, really enjoyed you being here on our first episode. And I think this is a really juicy topic, so to speak. And what books would you recommend for folks who are interested in your stuff? I mean, you should, you guys should read all of Steve's stuff, but you've got a lot of stuff up there. So maybe uh, some of your recent works and uh, that they can find that all on your website, right? At stevetem.com. Well, yeah, the, the last collection, which is in a hardcover is the night doctor and other tales. And that's, that's still available directly from the publisher for 25 bucks. So mm -hmm. that's from centipede. That's a really good price. 
Racinipede book. And coming up this fall, I have Thanatrauma, uh, which is my new collection of stories from Ballancourt Books. And that'll be coming out in November as a 300 copy sign limit of hardcover, followed in about a month after that by paperback, ebook, and audible versions. Beautiful. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm definitely going to pick up a copy and I recommend anyone listening uh, definitely read Steve Steve's work. If you haven't already, you're definitely missing out. So uh, thanks again, Steve, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great and sometimes disturbing weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs>